Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And I'm Chris. And can you believe the sound quality that we've achieved? Do I sound like a little girl? <laughs> no, but your hair looks funny. Still a concern. Your hair, mm-hmm. your hair looks funny, and you sound like a little girl. We got... Oh, uh, you look pretty jacked up. Do I? Yeah, you've been doing a lot of... A lot no, of, I've been eating more ice cream and cookies, actually. You haven't been doing a lot of stuff? I gained stuff? about 10 pounds. Since but is it all muscle? No. You haven't been doing a little... Uh, There's a little muscle I've seen there. a lot of weird Instagram videos. Muscles. I've seen a lot of Instagram videos of you and your girlfriends video. in no, the gym. No, you saw... Fuck that. You saw one Instagram uh, story. That's from, all you saw. Yeah, them them in a the lot. gym. The, Chris and his girlfriend in the gym. <laughs> oh, man. Look at your face. What? What that bothers you that I think it's funny that there's Instagram stories of you and your girlfriend working I'm out just together? Busting reps and smashing sets. Yeah. Squats and bench, that's all I do. And it's one of those things <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like they do something and then they do it again. What are those things called? I don't know. I don't do those things. I it's think Annie. <laughs> I think you do those things. It's Annie. Anyway, fuck that. I'm sorry, I'm just playing. I was no, but we at the point though that you originally made was we got fucking Dave put down four hundred bucks for all this shit. We have a board. I shit you not, it has lights, twenty five knobs on it, and lights, and lights lighting up. It's lights. insane. I was overwhelmed with the Yeti that had two knobs on it, volume and gain. All right, Chris, I'm gonna break it down. You rang the door. We're at my father's house. Yes. You rang the doorbell. Mm-hmm. You came in. And yeah. could you believe... And I saw that thing. Actually, no. It, I wasn't excited or happy. It was actually overwhelming. Terrifying. I was like, what the fuck is this? Because I know you're as good or worse than I am at this stuff. Worse. Yeah. And so, like, trying to get this shit set up, it was... We probably have it all fucked up, too. I mean, it sounds... We, we tinkered with it. It sounds a little better. We called the sound guy. Well, but, dude, well, check it out. I bought the wrong thing, and uh, last week... Here's the story. Last week, Artie had agreed to have us go to Hoboken to put him on the show. And I'm like, I don't want to bring the Yeti. And I've been talking to that dude uh, from Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Ralph Sutton. DJ Ralph Sutton. And I've been talking with this dude from Baltimore who has a podcast network. And they're like, we think your show is really dynamic. And we think your chemistry is amazing. Mm -hmm. That's what they said. They said amazing. Amazing. With that tone and inflection. Amazing. You're so full of shit. But. It's a program of rigorous honesty. They said. I don't listen to people. Yeah. That's what I heard. <laughs> Whatever they said, I heard they said your your show is fucking sick. Yeah. However, the fucking sound quality sucks. Yeah. It blows. And then I'm thinking, oh, I see. I listen to it. I'm like, yeah, it's not bad. Then I played it for the guy who produces the Anthony Bourdain show, yeah. and he goes, "They're a bunch of audio snobs." <laughs> yeah. And I know, and that guy is like you, people pleaser. Oh, so the audio snob comment might mean nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So I said to myself... Yeah, he's been stringing you along for five years. Five years, at least. <laughs> he keeps promising Dave he's going to make it big with yeah, Netflix yeah. and HBO yeah. and stuff. He promised me that. And all he's doing is he's taking you out for breakfast once a quarter. No, he doesn't. He, he doesn't even do that. What does he do? I go out and meet him at his office, and I drink the coffee in the yeah, office. Yeah, he meets you at your office once a quarter, once a year, just so if you hit it big, he has, his, he has his hooks in you. Well, that's what they all do. Yeah. That's what they all do with us. But I'll tell you. That was my plan with Dopey. What's I was that? just hoping you were going to hit it with one of your other projects. And then I would drag you along with me. And then Dopey would get uh, big through proximity. The trick is, the, the thing about him, 
Okay, he spent ninety thousand dollars on a pilot for me. Yeah, he took a wine. And I've seen Dave with this anonymous bullshit. Uh, I've seen the pilot. It's fucking great. I love it. It's like Louis, you know. But it's me. (laughs) But it's you. Yeah. But it's not. It's it's a Dave's pathetic life as an ex heroin addict waiter, and it's it's great. It's not as good as what I made, though. You you won't admit it. I know. I I don't want to talk about that. It's better. The point is (laughs) that when he. When I was doing that, one of my dreams was always to pitch a show. And so not only did he spend $90,000 on that piece, but he also flew me to Los Angeles. And he put me up in the hotel called The London. Very swanky hotel. I had my own suite. It had a living room in it by myself. It had one he of these... He paid for the flight? He, he paid, paid for, for everything. Him. Did he pay for like the Uber to the place? Everything. How? He, he did. But was he with you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Him, me, and a writer who was the uh, the writer on uh, the Daily Show with um, John Stewart. I would have. Lo- I, I remember you calling me sporadically during this time period with the the nibbles that you got as a result of this uh, pilot. But I would have paid anything just to have witnessed you. Sitting in that room, your nervousness, just the energy. I was out there. I would have done anything to see that. Check this. I went out there. I had Bud. I had an Indica vape pen and a Sativa. You brought Bud on the plane? Yeah. And then I had an Indica. How did you bring it on the plane? In my pocket. (laughs) Wait, you brought it in your pocket through customs? I mean, through uh, uh, security? When I fly. You don't pack it in the bag? Always in my pocket. Really? Always. I used to put it in gold bond things, but then I'm like, can they see it through the gold bond? And they, you can't, and now it's hard to do that because the new um, see-through things, you know, there's like 360. Have you seen the new? Of course. Yeah, I don't know. This is, no, no, so I didn't, I didn't do that for the 360. This is what I this did. This is pre-360. No, I think they might have had it. Yeah. What I do was I would, I took, I think I took my nuggets and I put it under the plane. Your nugs. I put my nuggets under the plane. Your nugs. I put my nuggets <laughs> under the plane and then I had my two pens, and I had a little case for my vape. Yeah. And I put my tobacco vape and my weed vape in a little case, and I put that in my backpack. Yeah. And then I put that through the x-ray. Nobody bothered me. I went through the 360. What if you got arrested on your way to would have been pitch? terrible. Yeah. would have been a great Dobie story, but yeah. it would have been terrible. Yeah. And then I remember... So what happened? when you, Who were you pitching out there in L.A.? I pitched Netflix... Yeah. I pitched Comedy Central and I pitched and, MTV. And HBO canceled or something? Didn't oh, and I pitched and I pitched IFC. Independent and film What do they say? Uh, what do they do? They show the pilot and there's a bunch of people sitting in a boardroom at a table. Yeah. Did anybody laugh? Yeah, of course. It's funny. And you like, you loved it. Why are you why would you even say it like that? You just said you just spent I a just whole wonder, thing. I don't know how corporate fucking media works, you know, talent scouting. I, I don't know if they sit there with straight faces. It's like poker. They're like, mm, "This is okay." Inside they think it's amazing. Why would they do that? Because they don't want to, you know, they're like, mm, "We'll give you this much. It's okay." No, this is what happened. And I'll be honest with you. It was me, the owner of the company, and this guy from the Daily Show. And we, we flew out there, and I'm, like, vaping. I'm like, Any, you guys want to hit? And they're like, no. And I'm yeah. like, this one isn't going to fuck Where you up is that happening? On, on the it, way to the airport or after the airport? In the car, like, because you get there, and they hold up a little car, a little side. <laughs> you got two pens. And yeah. You, um, right. and, they were, and they weren't smoking with me. But then, um, and, I, and I kept smoking before the meetings. Yeah. But, like, the Did truth Did they not was, like that, or? They didn't care. The, this is the, the, the biggest problem. 
you know, was they hired the writer to give the show structure. And this is not necessarily good for Dopey, but I'm just going to tell the story. They hired the writer to give the show structure, and the show still had no structure. And they they brought the owner of the company to have a, a standard for the pitch. But the person responsible for making the people laugh and making them excited about the show somehow became me. Yeah. And, like, I can tell a good story. You know, but like I also tend to go off the rails, and I was high, so like I'm <laughs> and just you're like fucking nervous. Yeah, but like I, I love the guys that I went with, but I knew that I was better at pitching them. Yeah. So like I was, I felt like I had to do it. Yeah. But still, we failed. I remember the Comedy Central pitch. The guys that we pitched to were younger, probably younger than you. Yeah. And I was the youngest of our group. Yeah. Okay. The owner was in his fifties, yeah. and the guy, the other guy, was like in his late forties. Um, you needed to tell them, think Louis, but edgier. I, if you had said that, you might have got the deal. To who? To the people. To the execs. Which people? Those the guys at the table. I said, okay. I said, watch this thing, <laughs> but think Louis. Yeah. No. The point is that that um, the Comedy Central thing went badly. The MTV thing went badly. The IFC thing went so badly. And I was, I thought we were going to, I, I really thought my show was going to be on IFC. I was like, it's like Marin, like it's like that, but it's better, mm-hmm. you know. But the truth is at Netflix, and at Netflix, okay, I love Netflix. Netflix will just run anything. I'm surprised you didn't get it. You're such an ass. <laughs> what do you do, man? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm a future doctor. Oh, it's like Chris is like he, he's in like he's just such a nauseating personality. He like he shows up and he needs to like impress my father, like make my father like him. He's like, "Hey, Alan, we're going to get tacos. Would you like some? Because you buy us such nice stuff all the time." Oh, Alan, would you come sit with us? And he's like, "Oh, Alan, check it out, man. Dave's really wasting the coffee." And my dad is kind of a people pleaser. He's like, "Oh, yes, Chris, Dave is wasting." Hey, that's the called coffee. being polite and common courtesy. It's just disgusting. Okay, and it makes me. <laughs> You're just bored. Borderline abusive to your father. It's possible. <laughs> On the way out, his dad's like, "Well, you take the trash with you," and you just look at him, no, <laughs> scowl. Well, there was a reason, and then he kicked it. That did not kick <laughs> you. <laughs> tell him the reason. Because of it has to do with all this electronic. You stuff like tell lies. <laughs> you like you're not honest. You're not a truthful person. This program is Even rigorous. I honesty. know. That Ralph Sutton or whoever you were talking about didn't say that our chemistry was amazing. I think he did say that. That was a lie. He said that. You know who said that? Who? The great Artie Lang. Did he really? He did. Hmm. He said... Are we going to open the Artie can of worms right now? Yeah, why not? What else we got to do? So we are fucking close to getting Artie on here. We're not. Really. We're supposed to record at his place tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Yeah. Tomorrow night. If it happens. Tom- yeah, but anyways, there's been plenty of interactions with him. Plenty. Plenty. Way, yes. way. Lots. But so he- many that we don't even talk about it anymore. But don't you remember a year and a half ago, almost two years ago? Couldn't get anything. We were better yeah, off. No. We were better off that way. What, because of the dream and the hope? Because it like now we've gotten closer and it's just what happened. It's less pleasant up close. <laughs> it's less pleasant. <laughs> the whole thing is much less pleasant up close. But um, there's a lot of the Artie story that I, I just can't tell. Yeah. Like I, I think Artie, 
I love Artie. Hmm. I do. Yeah. And I was with Artie yesterday. Because yeah. I stalk him like yeah. a freak. <laughs> Yesterday. Well, we okay. fucking go. We met I a couple weeks ago. I was in New York. We were recording. And Dave's like, Artie does like around the corner. His his podcast is the Opie and Artie show. Artie and Anthony. The Artie and Anthony show. And he's like, um, he's going to be like getting out right now. Let's go there. So we fucking sprint. Hold on. All my my plan. Sh- sh- one sec, let me just explain. My plan was that you could never nail Artie down. In the future, yeah. But I thought that if we were like, let's go now, yeah, we could get it done. Yeah. So anyways, that was my. So is we go over there though. It's drizzling a little bit. We're standing outside waiting for him, and we had to kind of hustle to get there, you know. And then Dave's like, "You were so excited." Dave's like, right? "Fuck it." He's like, "Let's go. We should just get out of here." And then I was like, "All right," because I felt a little awkward doing it. But God again. bless you. You fucking stayed. Here we go. You again. waited. No, I'm I'm giving you props. You fucking waited. You stayed till he came out. And he art is pretty fucking cool. I think like a normal person. You know, I think it's because he's you know a drug addict and one of us. He doesn't feel like awkward at all. He's like, "Oh hey, like what are you doing?" You know, and he isn't like, "What are you doing here again?" At first, you see, this is how Artie is. Because first, he's like, yeah, 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 and, and he wants to get through it quickly. Yeah. Then the second time, he's like, I don't remember meeting you. <laughs> then the third time, he goes, did I meet you? <laughs> then the fourth time, he's like, hey, how you doing? Where do I know you from? And then the but now fifth he knows your time, name. he knows your name. And, and he, he was cool. And he goes, you know, I really can't do it tonight, but I can do it on Friday. Yeah. So then Friday came and Friday went and he couldn't do it. And uh, and then there was a snowstorm, so Chris didn't come in. So we put off recording until tonight. And um, and I thought, and Artie had agreed to come on again tonight. Yeah. And I didn't hear from him during the week, which wasn't surprising. Yeah. And yesterday, it's funny because we were airing this in the morning. Yeah. So yesterday, I get out of work and I'm like, and I'm thinking, and, I, and honestly, I, I tweeted this and I erased the tweet because yeah. I was embarrassed. The tweet was, trying to get Artie on Dopey is like simultaneously trying to fuck the hottest and the ugliest girl at the same time. <laughs> because like I'm like killing myself to, to get him on the show. And I'm oh, and Artie's not the hottest girl in the world. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a big fat guy. <laughs> you know, uh, I love Artie. You know, it's just, you know what I'm saying. Um, now... Actually, he's, he's lost a lot of weight. But the point is, I'm overthinking it like a crazy person. So yesterday, I get out of work late. And for some reason, there is no Long Island Railroad to my town between 5.30 and 6.30. Yeah. And Artie's God, or as I like to say, a Todd shot yeah. happens that Artie's studio is a... Th- Throw a stone's throw from Penn Station and my father's house. Yeah. Like only Todd crazy, yeah. could set it up <laughs> yeah. like that. And um, so I get to Penn Station and I have 25 minutes, and Artie's show finishes at fucking six. Yeah. And I'm like, do I go? Uh, but he's gonna think I'm really needy. Yeah. That I want something from him. Maybe I shouldn't go. Yeah. And I go, but how can I not go? I said, what am I going to do standing in front of Penn Station for 20 minutes? Yeah. And that's where my lack of patience and not being comfortable in my own skin comes in. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to go. I'm yeah. like, what am I going to do? Talk to Chris on the phone? <laughs> I'm going. So I go, I go over to Artie's building. And I'm standing in front of the building. And I'm like, what am I doing? 
I'm like, I'm such a loser. He's going to come out and he's going to feel like I'm stalking him. I also texted him five times, yeah. ignored the text. Yeah. And I'm standing there and I had that same moment. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm leaving. Yeah. And I'm like, no, yeah. I can't leave. And then I get that thought, well, when he comes and sees me, I'll just tell him I was around. I'll, I'll give him the excuse. I, so I, was, I was nearby. And, uh, and then he comes out and he says, um, Hey man, how you doing? And I said, I said, Hey man. He goes, Oh, by the way, I listened to the show. I said, what? He said, yeah, I listened to the show. Your chemistry is (laughs) amazing. I said, wait a second. I said, which episode you listen to? He goes, ah, you know, the one with the Sopranos. He didn't listen to it. He said, he said, said, I listened to the whole thing and I don't listen to anything. And I said, I said, you liked it. He said, your chemistry was amazing. I was, my, I was telling Jackie Gleason. Yeah. Um, anyway, then I walked him to a car where there's a kid waiting in the car. They probably drove off. Yeah. God bless him. Well, hopefully we get him on tomorrow. You think we're going to get him on tomorrow? No. But hopefully so. There's a lot of stuff that we're not talking about. We're just going on and on about this. I know. Let's play uh, the voice memo. Okay. All right. What's up, Dave and Chris? Uh, this is... Buddy Rob calling in from North Kakabaki. Um, I appreciate y'all uh, giving me the information to get in touch and share a story, maybe a few. Um, but uh, I gotta go when it's uh, it's happened a couple years back during, um, I'd say, like the rougher part of my downward spiral. spiral. I'm now in recovery. Um, I tend to slip up here and there. I'm on the Suboxone program. Um, I really want it. I really want sobriety. But um, close to my what I call rock bottom time period, I um, that's when I started doing heroin. First started out with pills, and then started, you know, then I found out. You know, couldn't get pills all the time, so I found out heroin, kind of the same thing, so I started doing heroin. Well, it was one morning, I was um, starting a new job that day, and I couldn't get any shit the night before, so the next morning my plan was to get up and drive to my dude's house. Well... He told me he was going to be there, but sure enough, I get there, drive, it's a 20 minute drive, I drive all the way there, he's not there. I'm like, fuck, I'm freaking out. So I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? And, uh, see, I live in a real small town, and there's not a whole lot of options for me at this point to get my drugs so I know this other guy and he lives about 10 minutes further up the road so I'm like fuck it I'll go to go randomly stop by this guy's house at like 8 in the morning and take a chance you know so I go to his house um, I didn't call him because I didn't have his number. Um, I knocked on the door. No one answered. So I'm standing there for a minute. And I look down and I see the door's cracked. So I open the door and, you know, yell his name. And um, no one answers. I look around and, you know, start nosing around. And I see my buddy lying on the living room floor. Um, 
fully clothed. He looked like he was dead. I was like, holy shit, what the fuck? So I like, run over there. I start yelling his name. Wait, oh, wait. You know, doing all this shit. Freaking out. And he, he <laughs> rolls over and gives this... <laughs> Like snore type thing. I'm like, fuck. All right, he's all right. And so I'm like sitting there, just kind of like, fuck, whatever. Like trying to wake him up. And as I'm trying to wake him up, like he's dead to the world. Like he will not wake up for anything. And so I'm sitting there, just like, fuck. So you know, being the addict that I am, I just start kind of looking around. Well, I walk into his bedroom, and right on his nightstand is this huge bag of dope. I mean, I say huge, I'm talking like maybe two grams. And so without thinking about it, I mean, keep in mind, you know, this guy was a shitty drug dealer. I mean, he had ripped me off so many times, giving me horrible shit, you know. I watched him buy Coke one time, and he wouldn't sell it because he told me he had to cut it first. You know, like, and he's that kind of dude. So I, I fucking stole the dope. So I, I get out, long story short, I get out of there, you know, I peel out, I get out, I get away, and I'm, I'm driving um, back towards where I need to be to start my work, and this shit was fucking fuel, it was fire, it was probably some of the best dope I've ever done in my life, and I didn't IV it, I sniffed and smoked it, so I'm sitting there driving, I'm just sniffing away at this bag, and I get to back around where I need to be, and I'm like, fuck, dude, like, I, I, I'm about to fall asleep, like, what, like, fuck, I think I did a little too much, so I pull into this coffee shop. So I was going to get some coffee. About three hours later, I wake up in the parking lot of the coffee shop with my car on, the bag of dope sitting in my lap, my windows down. I'm in like the premier, like the premier parking spot to go in this local coffee shop that everybody goes to, and I'm like, oh my fucking god. Like, for one, I don't know how the police, no one called the cops, you know. I look, probably looked like I was dead. For two, I can't imagine how many people I know fucking probably saw the situation. And for three, I was late for my new, first day at work. So I fucking get on the phone. I call my boss. I'm like, oh, my God. He picks up. He's like, hey. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? I was like, I'm so sorry, dude. My phone died. I got pulled over. The fucking cops started searching my car. The co- the the dog came. They thought they hit on something, and it just took like three hours. And I made up this huge elaborate bullshit story. And he's like, "Oh, really? I saw you sleeping at the coffee shop." So I kind of. That job didn't work out. But, um, long story short, I don't know how I didn't fucking go to jail that day. I fucking... I think maybe it was a small overdose. I don't know. I've never overdosed. But, um, yep, that's my story. Um, toodles. You hear that? Toodles. Did you read the email from the guy who said... The guy from Australia, what he said about toodles? He said, like, knock it off or something? Yeah, that's right. That was a good. Did you like that one? I love that one. It's great. The funniest thing was that you were like, uh, 
what happens in this one? And I was like, I don't know, but we have to play the one where the guy steals the dope from his dealer, and then this is this one. This is the one, yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. In terms of stealing dope, I think I've only stolen dope from my friends. I mean, yeah, I've stolen dope from my friends. And then there's the one, like, all-time greatest stealing from a dealer story was in uh, one of the early episodes where, do you remember that? I got drunk with my Yeah, friend. I love that story. I got, I'll just recap it real quick. I got drunk with my friend Mike, and he doesn't get he didn't get drunk much. And we had my dad's fucking car, and we went into Dorchester, and um, we we were getting like five hundred dollars worth of dope and coke. And it was like half coke and half dope, and the guy just sold fifties of each. And I remember we were drunk, and we were each going to bang a fifty of coke each, and. The, it, that was the plan. The plan was we were each going to do a whole fifty, and like we would in sp- one shot, and, and we would split a fifty, right, and fly. Like it was like it was, that was like borderline too much, like close to seizing. If we each shot a fifty of coke, like we probably would have died. Like it would have been so bad. Right? It wouldn't be so much powder that it would jam up the syringe. They were smaller. But it was like a middleman too. They were probably like forties, and the guy was giving him a deal because he was buying a lot, and then he was selling us for fifty dollars a piece. You know. Um, it was probably a 40 was probably like a half a gram. So we would be shooting like a half a gram of Coke and it was probably stomped a lot, but that's still a shitload of Coke to shoot. Right. Cause we're splitting in flying. So anyways, we go and we buy the, we go and meet him. And so here's the deal is my friend's driving my dad's car. He's in the driver's seat. And I was like, all right, the guy's name's Tommy, the drug dealer. Like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to, Tommy usually gives me, I meet him in like the little vestibule in his building. And like, he, he hands me the shit and I give him the cash. And I've been spending thousands and thousands of dollars with this guy. He trusted me a lot. And so I go in there and all we had was like three or $4 and $1 bills. I love this. And I'm literally trying to fold up before I go in the three or $4 to make it look like a bunch of bills, you know? So I go in and I'm like pretty drunk and Tommy hand me the drugs and I hand him the bills and I just turn and start running. And he's like, Chris, he just like yells my name. Right. And I just, I run out, I go jump in the backseat of, of, uh, my dad's car and Mike takes off down the road. Right. And so he burns down the road. Turns out the people he buys the drugs from were waiting on the corner. Cause he was just like a middle guy. So they gave him the drugs. They wait until I come give him the money and then he gives it to them. So he runs out, right? He yells at me. Mike's taken off down the road. At this point they're getting in the car and following us. Mike's burning and he hooks a right. And it's a dead end, right? Really, really fucking narrow, narrow street, right? So we go all the way down. I'm like, Mike, it's a fucking dead end. So we get down there, right? He goes, throws it in reverse, right? And starts backing out. And by this time, they've turned down that road. And they park in the middle of the fucking road. So we keep, there's no way to get around it, right? And by this time, Tommy's this old guy. has been to prison like a million times. And he's came up to the car, right? And they actually stayed in the car. The drug dealer stayed in the car. And we're sitting there. And he's like fucking yelling. He's shit about prison i don't care i'll go back all this shit right and he's banging on the hood and stuff and so i say to mike i'm like i don't know what to do and i'm like just start laying on the horn and so he starts like laying on the horn do you know what i mean and uh we roll down the window and i just threw all the drugs outside the window onto the street and he went and picked them up and then they backed out and we took off I don't remember the ending being like that. Yeah. It was laying on the horn. They scared them. It was like... it was Also, they got the drugs. Stuff. They got the drugs back. It's like, yeah. what do they want? They want to kill you because you, you tried to steal from them? You know what the funny thing was? 
I went back to him like two months later, and it was business as usual. <laughs> I remember. But you know what the funny thing to me is? And it just occurred to me. Yeah. That first thing that I was thinking was, how do you remember everything? And then it occurred to me that you remember it because you told the story so many times. And the reason you tell the story so many times is because so many times in treatment, you tell the story and you remember the story because you've told it. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm the same way with the stories that I've told a lot because they're, they're perfected, well, laying also, the phrases that you, I'm, this is not the a, actual phraseology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not, this is nothing against you. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's the nature of how many treatments you've been to. It's like, the currency of a story like that in treatment and the joy of telling it. It's such a fucking, it's an insane story. Well, the craziest part for me thinking about it was, so I would tell that story sometimes and then I would think about it and I would be like, God, I remember we were just going to shoot $50 worth of Coke. And it was like, we were going to, I was fucking 100% going to do it. Like that's a God shot right there. Like that happened. I shot, I mean, what, what, I mean, I would do ridiculous shots of dope. Yeah, that's different. I never shot. I, I mean, like, yeah, I don't. I don't know how much shooting a lot of coke, man. It's not pretty when you do too much. It's like a dope. You just get tired and fall out, and hopefully you live. Coke, you fucking witness the overdose. You're sitting there while you're fucking vibrating and shit, and like seizing out, and you're you're awake and you're like alive for it. It's like painful. It's scary. You're, you're, you're like, what is what is the damage that's going on to my body? Right. I'm like, I know is that my whenever going to be okay. Whenever I had coke to shoot, which is rare, uh, I was very very cautious. Yeah. Because because I also it's didn't like dangerous the and scary. I also didn't like the feeling. See, I was with coke. Was coke was shooting coke was my main thing, and I always wanted to do take whatever it took to seize and do a little bit less. That was like my ideal shot. I yeah. I, I just know that when I would get. Like my when I would like I would see a dealer and I would get two hundred dollars worth of dope. I would start with the with one hundred dollar shot. Like that was like I, I would sit at my kitchen counter and I would break open ten bags oh and I would God. fucking make like a the shot like that you know yeah. long and black. That's pretty crazy. And I and I did it like every day for months. Yeah. I'd start with the eighty dollar shot or the hundred dollar shot. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would feel it. That's why yeah. I did it. Yeah, you know. But it's like. I don't say that to like, you know, I, it's, it was, it's just ridiculous. If I shot $10, if I shot $5 right now, I would fall out. And if the fentanyl was around, you'd be dead. That was the thing. Um, this morning I'm at work and, uh, I work with this older waiter and he was talking about his friend. He has two young friends who died in the last week. Yeah. One of whom was a bartender who was riding his motorcycle drunk and, you know, got killed. And the other one OD'd on heroin. And he said to me, he said, what, do you think that the dope is much stronger now than when you did it? And I said, I don't know, but it's, it certainly sounds that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, that's the other thing. Well, the dope, it's not even the dope isn't stronger. It's just fentanyl. <laughs> I was, um, and we have to get to the phone call in a second. Yeah. But I was watching this movie today. I started this movie yesterday on Netflix or on Amazon Prime. It's a documentary called uh, What Happened to Johnny. And it's a movie about this guitar player named Johnny Thunders. Have you ever heard of Johnny Thunders? No. Johnny Thunders was uh, a guy from Queens, an Italian kid from Queens who came up in the late 60s. Total fucking New Yorker. 
never touched drugs yeah. uh, until 1969. The story was in 1969, he smoked a joint, and he was such a fucking addict, the next day he had a pound of weed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the second he yeah. takes it. Then he became a junkie. Yeah. And, like, you watch this guy. This guy is the worst junkie you'll ever see in your life. Yeah. He's just a fucking disaster. Yeah. You know, he played with a band called the New York Dolls with uh, Buster Poindexter before Buster Poindexter was Buster Poindexter when yeah. he was called David Johansson. And he played with uh, a band called the Heartbreakers. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It was Johnny Thunder and the Heartbreakers. And the whole band were such fucking junkies that uh, they had, like... And everybody loved them. Like, Sid Vicious wanted to be Johnny Thunders. Like, yeah. Dee Dee Ramone wanted to be Johnny Thunders. Every every junkie yeah. that was a, a guitar player, like, wanted to be Johnny Thunders. He was the, the, the epitome of punk rock cool. Yeah. And um, he wound up going on tour in England. I heard this story. Uh, and um, this is not the point. But yeah. he wound up going on tour in England. And, and they said they were on tour with this very, very strict manager. And in the morning, the manager would give them all a shot. And then they would just to make sure they weren't sick. And yeah. then they'd go about their day. The and, then, manager. Yeah, and then at the night, he would give them a shot. Yeah. Just because he couldn't give them money. Yeah. <laughs> but he would give them shots. And then, then the thing was, in the movie, it was a lot of footage of New York City in the 70s and the early 80s where there was dope everywhere. Yeah. You know, you'd see all these uh, street corner dope dealers yeah. and this and that. And, and you talk about now this opioid epidemic. But you don't see any of that shit anymore. You don't see that no. shit. And apparently, it's way worse now than it's ever been. Yeah. Is it because middle America is that now? Well, and then it, it was just New York? Well, I think the number of opioid deaths have gone up considerably. Because of middle they, America? But they also claim that it's getting much more coverage because it's affecting... White people. Middle class. Yeah, white people. People of, of higher SES. SES? You like that? No, what is it? Uh, socioeconomic status. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, you know, in other words, we used a word in uh, that interview, uh, lethality. Ugh, what a terrible word. What? The interview coming up. Yes. <laughs> uh, and without further ado, um, we're going to give Megan and Bobby a jingle from the Addictionary podcast. And I want to do something else that you might not like. We're going to close this song, I'm sorry, this show with Johnny Thunder's You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory. Because I want to try putting some music in. Is that, um, do you have the rights to play that song? Sure. Uh, we can't close with it. We, we really can't. Why not? Because it's going to get erased. We have a new thing. We're, we're official now. We got the real mics and stuff. You get 10 seconds of a song. You have to get permission. How do you know? I know about this stuff. Where'd you learn that? I just I learned about it. How do you know? With perusing the internet. Paint the webs. All right, here we go. So Megan, with some normal uh, good so bad. Megan and Bobby with uh, a dictionary. Here we go. Start ripping, Ryan, Chris. Uh, so, uh, Dopey Nation, you have on the line uh, the infamous Megan from Boston and her dad uh, Bob or Bobby. You Bob or Bobby? What do you go by? Bobby's good. Bobby's good. Bob sounds too old, you know? Yeah. Um, You heard a little bit about Megan previously. She had the story about uh, getting high and somebody falling out, driving to the hospital, and the person waking up at the hospital. And uh, Dave kind of 
gave her the business over her Boston accent. No, no, no. I thought the story was that the person was out and Megan drove them to the emergency room and then they woke up. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what the fuck? And she was, no, no. <laughs> she was calling the cops on the way there or the, the whatever, the emergency room. Are you calling, who are you calling? The Stadies? Anyway, so that's Megan, but I want to hear a little something from Bobby. I know Bobby has a very interesting history. If you wouldn't mind, could you just give us like maybe a, I don't know, a few minutes uh, introduction, Bobby? You started what? <laughs> hooking school? I started hooking school in the kindergarten. How does one hook school in the kindergarten? And yeah, what do you do when you hook school? Well, we'd go, we'd walk down along the, uh, the back roads and we'd pick up snipes and we'd take them down the river and smoke them, you know? You know what a snipe is, Dave? Yeah. No. It's a butt. It's a cigarette butt. I thought it was a bird. Yeah, pick the snipes up off the gutter. We'd take them down the river and smoke them. Well, the funny thing is, the two kids that I was with, one was a year older than me and one was two years older than me. Well, in about the second or third grade, we lost touch. Well, years later, I was about 13 or 14 years, years old, and I, I went to reform school. And the first two the first two kids, I opened the, you know, the dorm door, and who do I see but the two kids that I used to hook school with in the kindergarten in reform school. We had a reunion. Uh, did you smoke some snipes by the river again then? <laughs> no, we couldn't get them in reform Hold on, Bob, hold on. Just hold on for a second. Are you honestly telling me that when you were in kindergarten, you would find cigarette butts and smoke them at the river? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> it's, not, I, I, it's not possible. I, I didn't start inhaling until I was about seven. I just used to puff on them, you know. Yeah. Where were your parents? <laughs> we had nine, I had nine kids in my family. I'll tell you a little quick story. People say, you, you know, you come from a large family, Bobby, that's great. I said, yeah, but it has its drawbacks. They said, like what? I said, well, like when I was 13 years old, I went for my Social Security card. They told me my birthday was May 2nd, not May 3rd, like I thought. They told me my middle name was Joseph, not William, like I thought. <laughs> I, I go home, I say, Ma, Ma, they told me my birthday was May 2nd, not May 3rd. You know, what's up with that? She said, Bobby, I had nine kids. Give me a break for Christ's sake. She says, can't you look at the bright side? I said, there's a bright side? She says, yeah. You know how every year on your birthday, May 2nd, I make you a strawberry shortcake? May 3rd, I make you a strawberry shortcake. I say, yeah, she did every year. She said, you know how the day before your birthday, you're always saying, Ma, can I have a piece today? I can't wait till tomorrow. I say, yeah. She says, well, now you don't have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. You're getting both days. Did you say, Bobby, show me your kid? <laughs> yeah, no. So I says, Ma, what about my middle name? They told me my middle name was Joseph, not William. I, I says, you know, is there a bright side here? She says to me, do you like Joseph? No, her father's name was Joseph. My younger brother's name was Joseph. So I says, yeah, Ma, you know, I love Joseph. She said, well, there you go. Stop complaining. She says, go get a job. Isn't that why you went up there in the first place? <laughs> I went off to get a job at Stop and Shop. 
I got my sister a job there a year later. She just retired as vice president of the whole company. Of Stop and Shop? Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. That's very impressive. I shop at Stop and Shop all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the prices are too high. I go to Costco. The rotisserie chicken is decent over there. Bobby, are yeah, you... you're right. You are right. Are you an addict? Who, me? Yeah. Ex I never, what's an ex addict? I didn't until I was probably 22, 23 years old. What was your thing? I started with, uh, you know, way back I started with the acid, black beauties, you know, speed. And uh, then I get into the heroin, the coke, and then the heroin to come down, you know. Mm-hmm. So I smoked a lot of coke. And, and you went, you, I'm going to jump ahead for a second because what the fuck. Uh, you wound up serving some time, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you got out, how old was Megan? Megan was, let's see, you were about six or seven. No, was I that old? Ninety-one. Oh, yeah, I was six. Six, yeah. So you were around when Megan started doing drugs and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was around. I was around. Where'd you? You know, she hit it well, and I believe me, I've been around a lot of. Addicts, and she hit it well. She avoided me most of the time. You know, she had the apartment upstairs, some downstairs, so she did a, a great job at avoiding, you know, eye contact for quite a while. But I knew, you know, I, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't think it was as serious as it was. I just thought maybe she's, you know, popping a few pills. I didn't know she was really, you know, as deep as she was, you know. And when you found out, what, what was the reaction? Were you, did you blame yourself? Yeah, I, I had a lot of guilt feelings because, you know, I thought it was in the DNA, you know. I mean, you know, you, you feel you feel helpless, really. I mean, you know, I, I've been through it, and now what do I do? My, my daughter's going through it. Mm. So, you, you know, you do your best to, uh, to, to, you know, to try to reach her and, you know, pray, you know, hope for the best, you know. He always knew, though, because I'm basically, I mean, like, really, I'm like a clone of his. So there was nothing that I could do that he wasn't already, like, one step ahead. So right. know, you know. Yeah, I know, but you know, I, I, I just, uh, I didn't believe in the tough love thing. You know what I mean? I didn't want to drive her deeper into the abyss because I, I know her personality and uh, I just dealt with it the best I could. Just you know, just try to support her and, and convince yeah. her that she's better than that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. My dad had the same exact reaction. He felt guilty that he kind of cursed me with those putrid Irish genes and that that's why I became an alcoholic and that it didn't come from my mom. Um, but originally he had sort of said lines like he would get really angry when I would like get high or, or, or drink or something like that. And then he would give me those lines like, you know, I, I spilled more beer on my shirt than you'll consume in your life or something. And then when it turned a corner and it was like the lethality of it was like an actual issue. He like totally changed, started kind of like pleading and stuff like, please stop. And it was like, I liked, I, I preferred the anger at that point. I was like, I'd rather have him just yell at me and get pissed off. than when he like started getting emotional. Right. Yeah. 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 You just, you know, you just pray that she, uh, she, you know, she lives long enough to, to, to get through it, you know, to, to, come to her senses and just survive it, you know, because it's a matter of time before she pulls out of it, but, yeah. you know. Assuming you don't die, I mean, just, you know what I mean? You, pray yeah. you don't die before you do, right? I've been sober a few years, Bob and Megan, and, um, 
I was at my father's house the other day, and uh, I was working at my father's house, and my dad was like, accused me of being high at this point. Yeah. He was like, your eyes look watery. I was like, what the fuck? He never knew it when I was nodding out at the dinner table that I was high. And here I am fucking years I mean, sober. I mean, and then to make it better, as I come tonight, I come to New York and I, I see uh, Dave's dad, Alan, and I'm like, Alan, have you, have you noticed Dave's been a little off recently? <laughs> but Bob, you got to be very proud of Megan. She's doing so much good stuff now. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you the truth, guys. I couldn't be more proud of her, you know, uh, I feel, I really feel blessed. I know a lot of people say, oh, I feel, I really do feel blessed for the first time in my life that uh, I can relax now. I can actually relax with, you know, what she was going through that day by day. I, 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 I suffered, you know, the parents suffer with you, with the kids, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm totally relaxed now. I'm, I'm, for the I'm really happy with my life, believe it or not. I mean, it took a long time, but just seeing what, you know, what stage she's at and uh, the progress she's making, I can just kick back and start enjoying life. Now I'm do a therapist. Do you ever do you ever smoke snipes down by the river just for old times' sake? Now, then, Bob. <laughs> the what? You ever smoking snipes down by the river for old times' sake? Just yeah, to... you know, I should do that. Just I should do it once a year for a reunion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, both, both of the kids that I was in reform school with, uh, John, we'll call them Roy One and Roy Two. <laughs> they both they're both dead, so I can't have a reunion with them. One turned into a wino and one OD, you know. No shit. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they'll be with me in spirit, though. There you go. They, um, if you don't mind me asking, and if this is off the table and stuff, just let me know. But like, you can ask anything you want. Awesome. Okay, so this is for Megan. Megan, do you remember visiting your dad in prison when you were a girl? And like, if you do, what did you think it was? What was that like? Yeah. So I told that story. I actually went and spoke at the same jail that um, he was in like a month ago, and I haven't been back since. Um, and it's funny because we were talking about it before I went and, and did that speech, and and my dad actually reminded me of a story of like when I when I went up there to see him, I like didn't I had no idea what this place was. I just remember getting in a van with my mom and driving up this hill, and like these barbed wires over the fences, and these guys with guns, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like I'm this little kid, I have no idea what this is, and it's just kind of funny because when I went up and saw my dad, I'm like, Dad, you know. What's up? Why do they have wire on the fences? Like those are really sharp. And my dad's like, "Oh, Maggie, those are uh, those are to keep us safe, you know. Like there are really big bears out here, and that's to keep the bears up." And I'm like, "But dad, why do these guys have guns?" And and, and my dad's like, "Oh, that's you know for the bears. They gotta keep us. They gotta keep us safe." And I'm like, "Well, they don't shoot the bears, do they?" He's like, "No, Maggie, they don't shoot the bears." <laughs> they just scare them away. That's great. <laughs> Did you grow up deathly afraid of bears? Oh no. No, I, I was an animal lover my whole life. That's why I was like, you know, so happy that I knew that those guys weren't going to shoot the bears. <laughs> oh my god, Bobby, were you um, around during like the days of Whitey Bulger and like what was like public opinion of him Uh-oh. back then? What's Whitey Bobby, Bulger? Can we talk about this. <laughs> He's like yeah, the most infamous uh, gangster. You know, those guys. I had the Southie guys there. I had the Charlestown guys there. I had the Somerville guys there. So my bar was like a sort of like a meeting place, practically, you know. Wow. So uh, we had a lot of mutual, um, I guess you could say, friends, you know. Mm-hmm. So you ran a bar in Boston? 
Uh, in Cambridge, I had a bar in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. You were in Cambridge, let's clarify. <laughs> you still have it or no? No, we got raided. <laughs> they come in on us, and you know, back in the 80s, everybody thought, you know, you, you, Coke was legal, you know, everybody's doing their lines on the tables, it was that type of bar, so, you know, we finally got raided, and, uh, you know, they got they got some stuff, and they got a gun in my safe, you know, and uh, I ended up doing some time over that, because... I, the bar wasn't under my name. I had it under a friend's name because I couldn't you know, have anything under my name. You know, they wouldn't they wouldn't give you a bottle of the license. So when I found the gun in the safe, they were going after my, you know, my partner, and he was a legit guy. He had a wife and two kids, so they were going to charge him with the gun. So I had to plead out to the gun, and I pleaded out to uh, a little bit of coke. So uh, and they took my license, and I sold the building. That was it. You couldn't give me another bar if you, if you wanted to give me a bar for free. I wouldn't take it. Um, so, you know, people who have stories like yours, Bobby, like you tend, they tend not to have like, you know, happy endings. And you're together with your wife. You've got Megan, who's going to be a future doctor. Like, what was the turning point? How did you guys stay together? What happened? Well, uh, you know. Megan, I don't know what kept I don't know how they put up with me. I don't know. It was easy for me to stay with them. You'd have to ask them how they put up with me. I wasn't, you know, I mean, I was gone for weeks at a time. You know, I'd be out of town. I'd be, uh, come home at four in the morning from the bar, stoned, you know, I'd go on binges. I remember going on binges for 10 days at the Charles Hotel. I'd go in with a clean shave and I'd come up with a beer 10 days later smoking a half key of coke, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> you used to, used to, you usually smoked it? Yeah, I could, I first started snorting and then I, you know, then I get into smoking it because I'll be honest with you, I was dealing a lot of weight so it was nothing for me to, you know, go through a half a key or something, you know? Holy shit. So, <laughs> but, you know what the truth is? The truth is, is, you know, as bad as my dad was even when I was a kid and, and being high and it being kind of a mess, I mean, I always admired him and I actually think that, like, when I think back as to how my addiction started, I, I think part of it was because, like, I idolized him so much and, and all the stories that he would tell and how, like, much of a badass he was and the respect that he had in our city and he's really, in all seriousness, like, he, you know, anybody that's still alive that's from his generation, um, you know, talks about this guy like he's a legend. So that's all I grew up around. So it was like, ooh, you know, I'm an only child. I'm like, you know, close with my dad. I'm like, I want to be this guy. So I think the allure of that was like part of actually like how I actually got started into drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that said, I always knew that he was just like a genius and I always had such respect for him. And he was an entrepreneur and he always like started businesses and was successful and the fact that I was able to see him as a human being beneath all the chaos and my mom was able to do the same thing and then they were able to do that same thing for me I I, I really think and then now I take that and I look at my clients the same way and I think that's the piece that really is what has made the difference in all seriousness when somebody loves you or basically sees a side of you that you're unable to see yourself yeah Yeah. absolutely 
Yeah. I had to say, I mean, my, my family never gave up on me. And when, you know, by all rights, they probably should have at some points, you know, but they never sort of did. And that, that really helped. I actually mentioned it on, um, on a previous episode. And like one of like the, the turning points when I got sober was my mom had picked me up from detox and I was doing a partial hospitalization program and we were driving, um, back into Boston. It was from McLean's and, um, I had broken my neck when I was younger and my mom, for some reason we were talking about it and I was like 18 or 17. I was skiing drunk and I, I broke my neck in my back and had bleeding in my brain. It was really bad. I should have died. Yeah. And anyway, so my mom was talking about it. My brother was this com- competitive swimmer in college and he, uh, he was about to do this race, you know, it was like a big race and they uh, got news to him about like that. I was in trauma one at MGH and I broke my neck and my mom told me he started crying and couldn't compete in the race. And I, I didn't know about this until, you know, whatever, 10 years after it happened. And, I felt so bad. I remember I broke down crying, and I was not one for tears. Maybe crocodile tears at the most, but like I was not one to like get emotional. And I just couldn't not cry. And really what the pervading feeling was like, how could anybody care about me? Like, you know what I mean? Because I just felt like such a piece of shit for all the stuff I had been doing so long. You know what I mean? And that was a turning point. It was like, because there's people out there who love me, who cared about me. And like, you know, sometimes that's like Megan said, it could be, you Hold know, a on. therapist or something that, like that. That was, and then how many, when was that? That was after that. I was when the first time I did yoga and it was yoga and Suboxone. This doctor recommended I do yoga and I was on Suboxone, but I had, I got like how, a year. How old were you when, when that incident happened? 25 or 26. So you had another eight years. Yeah. And that was the turning point. But that was the turning point of the first time I actually lifted a finger to do something for myself. Right. And it's just... I, it wasn't, people, it people, wasn't. Said, people said I was a chronic relapser. I wasn't because I just was abstinent for periods and was just biding my time till I could start running. That was the first time I tried and I had my first what I consider actual relapse because I had a period of something that looked like sobriety. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. That's Chris. Who broke their neck at what age? I did. I was uh, I was skiing in Sunday River when I was 17, and I um, I crossed skis with a friend. My skis flew off, and I went into a snowblower. And you'll like this, Bobby. And uh, I, so I had bleeding in my front of my brain, broke my neck, had to wear the halo device and everything. Well, then three or four years later, five years no, four years later, I was facing a huge prison sentence. I robbed a veterinarian, and I assaulted the police officers. One of them filed a great bodily injury, and I was supposed to go away for a long time and they argued that um, basically traditional methods of treatment and stuff didn't work because I I kept on violating the conditions of my, my sentence because of the bleeding in my brain from the ski accident, which was kind of bullshit, but uh, the judge... But you used it as a defense and it worked? I used it as... Well, you know how it is. Like, my, my family has deep pockets and they threw money yeah. at it. Yeah. And I always say you can buy justice. That's what it is. I, I My attorney, I remember, he didn't even know what the fuck was going on with my case. And I would be in the... Yeah, I, dude, I would be in the box, you know what I mean, with the other people. I'd be in the box with the other inmates and I'd go to court and I'd watch my attorney. He could go walk into to the judge's chamber and you know usually you have like the sheriff at least in, in California where I was would have to take people back to judge's chamber he had a relationship with the judge where he could just walk back there and you basically are paying for that and the justice system is so fucked up yeah I'm not complaining because I'm not in prison right now because of it but, but that's the way it is yeah so how how has the podcast been going for you guys yeah it's, go, it's going 
how I handle like a lot of things in my life. I, I, I attack it and I get like a little bit obsessive about it. And then I'm like in too deep. So right now we have guests booked up until like fucking like April. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys book, did you book Amy Dresner yet? <laughs> yeah. There Is she go. really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's a podcast slut. She goes. I, know. <laughs> I saw that same thing. I'm like, holy shit! She's hit the circuit. Dude, she's on everything, but she's good on everything, and not to end like her book is good. And when she go like it was, she was on our show like I don't know seven weeks ago, and that episode is still charting better than the other episodes. Yeah, because people have you seen that? People search for her and stuff, and a bunch of people that listen to our show are writing us just because of Amy Dresner. But wait, never mind Amy Dresner for a second. But what Megan and Bobby have going on is pretty cool. I th- what was really interesting is like there's all these sort of like recovery podcasts out there. There's very few that are doing what Dave and I are doing, which is like just two sort of friends in recovery having like a no holds barred conversation. But what you guys are doing, the father and son, father and daughter team is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. ask me how I get dragged into it. <laughs> Bobby, you enjoy it? <laughs> I'm in deep now. I can't, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's your Friday night, right? When you guys aren't recording, are you guys t- close? Like, do you spend a lot of time together? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I live, they own the house that I live in. So I live in the, on the top floor. They live on the second floor, and then they rent out the first floor. And then we have two dogs. So it's like an open-door policy here. <laughs> Megan, when you were using, though, was that the most distant you were from your, your family? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you got clean, it kind of all came back together. We talk about Matt here and there, and um, I just, I personally think like everybody who is a heroin addict when they first get clean should get the Vivitrol shot. <laughs> I don't feel like that. Yeah, I like it. I, I think it's a good. Megan, idea. you heard the story about this kid that was going to be our intern, and he he had taken the Vivitrol shot, and he kept testing the shot, and he overdosed. Yeah, I did hear about that, and then I heard you guys talking about it afterwards. So. I mean, that's so sad. I, I hate to hear that. Are you talking about Dave? No, Andrew. Oh. Talking about Andrew. Yeah. And um, and then and then my buddy Todd is finally but Do we even know he took it? Yeah, he told me he took it. Yeah, so a drug addict told you he did something? Listen, I took a Vivitrol <laughs> shot and I tested it every week. Yeah. I don't think it's unusual for a, a junkie to test a Vivitrol yeah. shot. No, yeah. of course. Everybody's yeah. going to test it. The only thing is, is you're never going to break through it. So once you, re- once you get that through your head... Yeah. And you realize, and you have that feeling of like you just bought all this shit, and you, and you just wasted all of your money, and you cannot get high. It's miserable. I was in a I was in a experimental program before Vivitrol had hit the world or whatever, and uh, but it was Vivitrol. It was a long acting. Yeah, but it was uh, they didn't tell you what dosage you were going to get if you were going to get a placebo uh, a day, a week, or the thirty day. So after a day, I tested it as soon as I got out. I didn't get high. I was like, fuck. Then I, I tested it after like 36. I was on 
Yeah, yeah. I was on the Naloxone one. I caught one of those drugs. It was called buprenorphine. Yeah, it was on Naloxone. I thought the buprenorphine is the Suboxone. Suboxone. Yeah. yeah. I, I was on the Naloxone one. They paid me Nalox- good money Nalox- to do it. Yeah. They put me up in a nice hospital. Yeah. I smoked weed during my hospital stay, which was a lovely thing. I just kept watching. I watched Malcolm X like 20 times when I was in there. <laughs> it's a high-quality film. Um, Bob, what do you do? Do you work now? Are you retired? What's your deal? No, I'm, re- I'm retired now. I, I, I was in the uh, flooring business for many years, uh, and I, uh, I held on to a few contracts. I have a few college contracts. I, I do a little bit, not much, very little, you know, just just for uh, uh, spending money, so to speak, you know, just uh, to keep busy. But, but Bob, busy. you're you're an uh, you're an extra sometimes in the, some Boston films, right? Well, I, I basically that's what I do now. I'm an actor. I just I just finished a series with uh, Stephen King's Castle Rock. Uh, it's yes. a ten episode. TV series that'll be on Hulu in the summer. I played a, I played a prisoner. <laughs> it's a stretch, a prisoner from Boston, right, Bob? It's a stretch, Boston prisoner number three. <laughs> we did ten episodes, and uh, so that's what I've been doing for the past, I don't know, six months. And before that, I just finished a, a scene, a movie with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I did a scene with him on the movie Stronger. The the uh, Boston is it the Boston bomber one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I haven't seen that. Yeah, what did you play, Bobby? Who who did you play in that movie? I played uh, the maintenance guy at, at Fenway Park. I run up to the wheelchair and I grab Jake's hand. I tell him how proud you know he's playing Jeff Bowman. So I, uh, Dave, David Gordon Green let me improv it. So I go up and I kneel down in front of the chair and I tell him how proud we are of you in Boston. <laughs> we want you to stay strong and boy, like blah blah blah. So most of the scenes are cut, but you see me kneeling down, talking to him, and then I stand up and I turn, you know. So how far into the how far into it is it? How far into the movie is it? Oh, jeez, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you. So I watched the movie once. I saw the scene, and that was it. It's it when when they show Fenway Park in the concourse. It's probably halfway, maybe halfway through the movie. Please, if I did that, I'd be like, it's at 56 minutes and 17 seconds. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, let me ask you. As an actor, Bobby, you, you work on any other accents? On any accents? You got a New York accent? You got a Chinese accent? No, but you know something? I, I've been seriously thinking about getting the tapes and working on an Irish probe, you know, and working on maybe an English accent because it, it, it opens up opportunities, you know, that... Uh, for, for decent roles so just to keep busy I was going to play around with the accents you know? you, the only accent I have is a, a dumb Boston accent you and Megan have the most beautiful accents I've ever heard the only problem for me you should have named the, the podcast called like Fire report <laughs> or something where when you say the name because a dictionary a dictionary is a say a dictionary uh, I mean, genius and I'm like sorry dude I'm still not dude it's a good name but it doesn't accentuate your Boston accent you know what I'm saying like no, you, you're right. so like when you and your dad hey this is Bobby I'm here with the the addictionary podcast <laughs> it kind of like falls short but if it's hey this is Bobby with the fire report from Boston what do you want to talk about you know that's like something I'd want to be you know I think that if you if you have a little thing in the name then all I think doors will 
swing wide open. I love the dictionary, but what are some? What are the perfect Boston words? I know fire is my favorite. What's another? Yad, ka. <laughs> I mean, it's like we need it. You know, when I had, when I had my, I had some common stores. You know, I was in the flooring business, and people used to come in from New York, and they come up to me and they say, "Bobby, do me a favor. Just say this for me." It's a, the New York guys. Say, park your car in, I parked my car in Harvard Yard. And I used to tell them, they don't allow you to park cars in Harvard Yard. I don't know where you heard that. You'd be like, shut the fuck up. You want to buy some carpet or what? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You guys are the best. And I, yeah. and I used to tell them, let me just go get you a cup of coffee, will you? <laughs> let me ask you this, Bob. Um, if you don't mind, we're running out of time, but do you have any, like, Crazy, ridiculous drug stories that you want to throw down for a uh, classic dopey, or is it too? I'll tell you a quick one, right? All right. This isn't the craziest one. This, no, this is a quick one. We'll have you back on. Well, this will be an ongoing collaboration. All right. Okay. <laughs> I had this sixteen-foot uh, step fan. I used to do pressure washing. I had a few different businesses, right? So I had this kid with me. He used to help me. His name was Roy. Now, he was on the dope pretty bad, but, you know, I used to take him with me and, you know, try to give him a few dollars in his pocket. So we're going down Cambridge Street in the middle of the summer, sliding doors wide open, and he's in the seat beside, you know, the passenger, the passenger seat, and it sits up pretty high, and he starts gnawing, and his head's going down, 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 to the point where his head's almost on the fucking floor. Right? And you couldn't even see if you were walking by the front of the truck looking through the windows. You wouldn't even know someone was in the passenger seat because his, his head was down. So I had to come to a stop, and I, I guess I hit the brake a little too hard. Well, he fucking flipped. His head went down under the seat. His feet come up, went against the windshield. Now, there's a lady and a guy crossing the street, and they look up at the truck, and they see this guy's feet up on the windshield, upside down with his toes up in the air, and they, 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 they were in amazement. They walk around the side of the truck, the boy screaming his ass off because his head stuck somewhere under the seat. So, the position he was in, it was like you couldn't repeat it if you tried. And the people walk around the side of the truck, and they're looking. They must have thought I was beating the shit out of him because he was and I was trying to help him up of grabbing his feet off the windshield and every time I pulled his leg down he started screaming because he was all twisted up so I, he says why the fuck did you do that he's blaming me I had a slam on the, I said Roy you, you, you were nodding no I wasn't no I wasn't mm. <laughs> I said, Roy how do you think you ended up in that position your feet were up there if you weren't nodding I wasn't nodding you did that on purpose I mean this is it was just you had to be there the people that were walking by were like just looking like wide eyed they just couldn't believe it anyway that's yeah. just one little that's a good one alright poor Roy Roy ended up ODing by the way and it was you know uh, another another friend that, that passed from drugs you know yeah but um uh, was a good nugget peace Roy that was his real name Roy but I used the name Roy for everybody you know when I when I do the podcast, if I'm talking about someone, I'll say I'll call him Roy. Well, this kid's name really was Roy. Why Why do you always go with Roy, Bob? Well, this story sticks out of my head so much, and I just you know I call everybody Roy. I don't want to use their real names, you know. Yeah. So I said we'll call him Roy. You know. Yeah. Did you, Chris, in your life, did you know anybody named Roy? I knew the someone kid, named Roy Lance. The, the kid that did the flip in the truck that was 
Roy. <laughs> that was Roy, yeah. yeah. That's his real name. That's he had to awesome. Kiss his own ass, basically. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, the real good stories are a little bit longer. I mean, those you'll have to. We yeah. still some of them on our show, but I mean, the feds, the fucking, oh my god, the feds coming in and bugging our house, and ever since then, my parents don't let the, the water meter guy actually read the meter. It's just crazy. <laughs> Long, but I do tell someone who, who showed you know the podcast. Yeah, well, Dopey Nation, check out the dictionary, and let's have um, Bobby and Megan if you'll come back on and tell a couple more stories. Uh, maybe in like a month or two. Stories, you'll enjoy them. Okay, alrighty, awesome. Well, thank you guys. All right, guys. Thank you. When we have one time, I'll, uh, I'll be happy to. Wonderful. Right on. All right, guys. Have a good night. Okay, bye. Bye. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had